back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 85, we discuss what La Liga's major announcement means for soccer in the US, our thoughts about TNT's and Univision's coverage of their first UEFA game, Comcast kicks more dirt into the eyes of being sports, an interview with Bleacher Report CEO about Bleacher Report Live, and we have a bunch of letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya, who is on vacation in India. And uh, we thank you, Kartik, for uh, taking valuable time out of your day to spend on this podcast. And it's going to be a big one because there's a lot of news to get to. So we're going to keep the, uh, the What We've Been Watching segment a little bit shorter than usual and then get into the TV streaming news pretty quickly. Uh, from this past week, Kartik, um, I'm just going to uh, kind of highlight one thing from what I've been watching. I've been watching a lot of soccer, of course, with the opening uh, weekends of uh, the Premier League and the Championship going on in, in its second week, etc. But the big one for me was TNT. And TNT had its very first UEFA broadcast on Wednesday with the UEFA Super Cup between Atleti and uh, Real Madrid. Uh, fantastic game. But the coverage, the coverage was interesting. And also Univision 2 is their first one too. I watched that one. So for TNT, it was even more laid back and less stuffy than Fox Sports. Uh, there were no suits and ties like you see uh, Alexi and Rob Stone wearing. Uh, but pre-match, the coverage felt more like a hipper Fox than an NBC or ESPN broadcast, even down to the small details. I mean, they, they borrowed the, the carpool episodes. Um, they had Stuart Holden and Steve Nash doing that in a car together, we obviously borrowed uh, kind of from Fox. But uh, overall, the production was fantastic. I thought the, the goal highlights that they showed and the kind of the, the, the match coverage in that pre-match was very cutting edge, very trendy, using lots of animation, really cool editing. Uh, that was great. Uh, the set looks interesting. Uh, the set is going to be, this one was in Los Angeles. And you have Kate Abdo, Tim Howard, uh, Stuart Holden, Steve Nash there. Uh, an interesting set, uh, kind of uh, studio set. It felt more, uh, I guess, um, organic rather than stuffy and very uh, sterile, kind of like, like Fox's studio. Uh, and all in all, it was great. It was really, really interesting. Uh, Stuart Holden played more of a prominent role in the studio analysis uh, pre-match. So where you have a host like Kate Abdo, you would imagine that she would be very, very involved asking questions back and forth. Uh, she did initially, but then Stuart Holden kind of took over. Um, so that's an interesting dynamic. And uh, also it was interesting to see a Bleacher Report live uh, reporter on site at a stadium in Europe, which is very unlike uh, Fox. Uh, with the exception of Keith Costigan, who would be out there for a game or two now and again. Uh, and that was good to see a reporter reporting live from the, the stadium, outside the stadium, talking about the match atmosphere. One of the best things, I think, about the pre-match coverage from TNT, and hopefully this will be a regular feature, is that they had a focus on the soccer fans, the viewers that were watching this game. And there was one episode that was called uh, The World's Craziest Soccer Mom, uh, which was an interview with a woman from Miami talking about her passion and love of Real Madrid. And that was interesting. That's something I haven't seen before. Uh, NBC has tried to do that sometimes, uh, try to get the fans more involved, uh, mostly through social media. But that was a really, really good development, and I in enjoyed that. So all in all, a breath of fresh air. It was lively, watchable, and un unpredictable. I didn't know what was going to happen next, and I like what I've seen so far. 
And then you had the, the World Feed commentators with Tony Jones and Alan Smith. Uh, they didn't get in the way of that. And then with U- Univision, I watched most of the game on Univision. And no complaints there. It, it was uh, all in all, I was very, very happy. Thing I'm looking forward to, Chris, is uh, the post-game show. Uh, I, I'm in India, so I didn't see this, but I understand that there's going to be a half-an-hour post-game show, uh, Bleacher Report Live branded on TNT after the group stage matches, uh, obviously preempted by the extra time in the Super Cup, which at Letty, I'm really was a fan to see at Letty win a match in extra time against Real Madrid after dropping two Champions League finals in extra time. Uh, against Real Madrid, uh, but uh, so uh, jury's out on that. But I'm that's something that fans should look forward to uh, a complete thorough post game show, which I believe that will be as opposed to kind of the very haphazard. Uh, fly, uh, you never knew what you were going to get from Fox uh, week in week out uh, post game. In fact, sometimes it would just cut out and go right to, to uh, one of those shout programs they have about American sports. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. The the shout programs, which which it were very much was and, and still is, but uh, but yeah, yeah, re- really, really well done. So it's a, a good start, and we'll have to wait and see um, how that goes from there. We'll get more into Bleacher Report and TNT a little bit later in in the show. We've got an interview with the uh, CEO of uh, Bleacher Report, and he goes into more detail about what to expect. But Kartik, what about you? What from this past week, um, if there was anything that stood out more than anything else? Watched a lot of NBC uh, with NBC on location. and uh, But for me, the thing that stood out again was watching Leeds United on ESPN Plus and how accessible the championship is this year on ESPN Plus for those of us who have it. Uh, and uh, we're going to give you some more ESPN Plus news in, in the news segment. But uh, and, and how entertaining Bielsa's leads are. Uh, we knew... If Bielsa stuck with it, because sometimes he walks out on teams quickly uh, or players don't adapt his, uh, adapt well to his methods, which are very unconventional. Um, we knew if they did, Leeds was going to be good. Uh, but they look unplayable these first two weeks. It's early, but I'm, I'm just real excited by watching Leeds United. So that, that was my big takeaway from the weekend. And, and as many Leeds matches as I can watch this season, even if they conflict with Premier League matches as they normally would, I'm probably going to watch them. Yeah, I've I've definitely watched a lot more championship this season already. I mean, part of it because I'm a Swansea City supporter, but but the coverage is good. I mean, the, the level of football is is good. The atmosphere is fantastic. Um, I have no complaints about the championship. I mean, it really is a really attractive league to watch. And we'll again we'll get into that a little bit later too with the ESPN Plus news. Now, um, before we move on to the the news, I do want to mention a, a word from our sponsor, and that is SeatGeek. Football is back. And SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a, m- a night out, or need a, uh, to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek help, helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like uh, being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek has plenty of tickets to concerts, comedy, and theater, too. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've used it in the past few weeks to look for tickets to International Champions Cup, as well as my favorite rock band, The Cult. And I'm looking ahead to uh, also some college soccer coming up uh, near me with uh, University of Miami against uh, Florida Atlantic University. 
So I've been using the SeatGeek app uh, to look for tickets. It's a free download. And uh, best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD, and that's one word, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Kartik, TV streaming news, and let's kick off with, with a big one. Yeah, very big one, although not the biggest news of the week, believe it or not. Most weeks it would be. ESPN Plus has acquired the rights to the FA Cup, the Eredivisie, the A-League, and the Chinese Super League. Uh, ESPN paid a reported $55 million a year in a three-year deal for the rights to Serie A and the FA Cup, as well as the Eredivisie, Chinese Super League, and A-League. That's uh, from uh, rights uh, broker media company IMG. BN Sports, so this is by comparison, BN Sports was paying $28 million a year for Serie A rights uh, in the deal that expired uh, in May, and Fox had been paying $6 million a year for FA Cup rights, again, deal that expired in May. So uh, a huge increase in those. Um, the most important note to share, and Chris, we've already had a lot of conversation about this on social media and on worldsoccertalk.com uh, this morning, is that every single FA Cup game will be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, the, the, for the first time ever, none of the games will be on TV. Uh, this is a huge change from the past for the FA Cup, where uh, Fox would show uh, three, four, five games a weekend um, and, and would show matches right up to the final. And, and uh, it's going to be, I think, a major adjustment for a lot of fans. Yeah, for most uh, people in the United States, uh, for the FA Cup, it's been on television every single year for the last two decades. I mean, that, that's a huge change to consider that we're now going to the point where for this season, uh, none of the games will be on television. And that was the, the hope. And I think we even mentioned it on the last podcast, too, is that the hope was that we'd have maybe, we, we, of course, we'd have the final on television. Of course, maybe we'd have the semifinal. But no, all of them are on ESPN+. Plus. I, and I understand the, the idea behind that from ESPN. ESPN wants to make ESPN Plus the go-to place for watching soccer online uh, for those leagues and competitions that you're interested in. And by having some of the games on television, that devalues ESPN Plus. So they really want to make the ESPN Plus kind of the go-to place. Um, the reaction from listeners and, and readers and, and on social media to this has been, has been pretty vast. Uh, there's been a lot of people in one bucket saying, ah, this is crazy. This is, this is, this is a step backwards. One of the interesting things, though, Kartik, I find is that a lot of the feedback is from people saying um, this is hurting the growth of soccer in the United States. This is holding back soccer. This is a step backwards. And in some ways, I understand the thinking behind that. But I'm still from the, the side of saying that soccer is already established as a major sport in this country. Sure, it's not as big as the NFL or NBA, but uh, in some ways, it's not a charity case. It's, it's a major sport that's enjoyed by millions of Americans and millions of residents in the United States. And uh, to think that ESPN has to make these games available for free, in quotation marks, on television uh, is, not, is not on. I mean, ESPN is, is a business. They have to make money. $5 a month for all of these, um, these leagues, as well as the championship, as well as USL, as well as the MLS out-of-market games, uh, League Cup, etc., etc. There's a ton of coverage there. To me, $5 a month isn't uh, a big ask. What's your thoughts, Kartik? 
Yeah, I agree with you, but I just know when it comes to January and that third round of the FA Cup, we are going to get a bunch of questions and a bunch of comments from people search, uh, surfing for the channels, not finding the games on Fox like they're accustomed to, looking at the ESPN channels, looking at the end, looking at now uh, TNT is a player, obviously, for soccer, and, and not finding matches and being very frustrated. So um, it's a cultural shift. Look, Chris, I, I landed in India for, uh, about 48 hours ago, and um, or less than 48 hours ago, and, and the first news I got, alert I got on my phone after landing, was about La Liga going to completely streaming Facebook, uh, via Facebook here in, in India, uh, as part of their effort to make uh, their product more accessible to take on the Premier League. It's part of a global battle those two leagues are having. We're going to talk, obviously, a lot more about that in a minute. But um, this is where it's going everywhere, unfortunately. Uh, you just have to get used to it. Uh, but we are going, I agree with you, but just be prepared after that first weekend in January, you and I are going to be spending <laughs> that next show yeah. talking about the lack of access that some people have to the FA Cup. Yeah. So yeah, that's it, the reality. It's a big change. It's, it's, it's almost like going from radio to television. And, and now we're going from television to streaming uh, sure. with over-the-top boxes. It's that big of a change. And there's a lot of people that don't have high-speed internet, that don't have uh, – they have older t- television sets, um, that just have cable, that don't uh, have a, a newer TV that has an HDMI port. So it, it is going to – it's going to hurt the FA. It's going to hurt the distribution of the FA Cup. The FA Cup is not going to be as, as accessible as it was in the past. But with television, uh, mostly cable and satellite, losing millions of subscribers and people moving to streaming platforms anyway, it's part of the change. And, and, and here we are. And soccer, in many ways, is a groundbreaker. We are at the cutting edge of this movement. Uh, this is happening more in soccer than uh, any other sports in the United States. Uh, so we're, we're a trailblazer, um, but with that becomes a lot of issues and concerns and questions, and, and we're here to answer those. We're here to talk about it, so listeners, just let us know if you have any feedback on that. It's, it's big news. Speaking of big news, Kartik, this is even bigger news. Mm-hmm. So today we're recording the podcast on Thursday. La Liga has announced a historic deal in the United States by announcing that they've partnered with Relevant Sports the company responsible for the International Champions Cup, to host one La Liga game here a season. As part of the ownership, uh, the companies, uh, both La Liga and Relevant Sports, have formed a new company called La Liga North America, and the deal is a 15-year deal, 15 years. So this is not a short-term project. This is a long-term strategic uh, partnership, uh, and they're wanting to have La Liga games uh, probably a minimum of one a year played here starting either this season or in 2019. Now, whether you're a fan uh, for or against having a foreign team playing a league game in the U.S., uh, to me, the bigger news is that for listeners to this podcast is that the partnership also includes the selling of TV rights. Now, according to Jeff Carlisle of ESPN, he writes, La Liga North America will also handle the sale of media rights uh, on the continent once the deal with BN Sports expires at the conclusion of the 2019-20 season. Relevant CEO Danny Silman said that uh, while there will be efforts on multiple fronts to increase revenue and build awareness, the media rights will be the biggest revenue driver. He said La Liga is already the second largest soccer league in terms of media rights behind the Premier League. 
quotes. He says, uh, the North America meteorites now sell for about $120 million to be in. And if you look at the upticks of the other leagues, the EPL doubled, the championship doubled. Even if we grow 15 to 20%, you're talking a total of $2 billion just in media value. Now, Silman went on to say that Javier Tebas, who is the head of La Liga uh, globally, has been working on the next media rights deal for the last six to 12 months. So the intention is to sustain that effort. He, he says, uh, quote, obviously they want to maximize the distribution. So we'll be moving very quickly with Tebas, uh, getting in the marketplace and understanding um, what the broadcast and streaming partners are looking for. La Liga works with Facebook in India and a bunch of the digital players as well. We'll start to figure out the best way to carve up the rights from the, from the digital and live broadcast in Spanish, English, and French to the U.S. and Canada and start to move fairly fast on putting a strategy t- together, end quote. Kardik, what, what does this say to you? Well, this media piece is huge. Look, I, I, all the coverage this morning has been focused on specifically the the game that's going to be played in the United States. We'll get to that in a minute. But this media aspect to me is massive. So, Chris, there have been a lot of conversations within the soccer community in the last 10 days to two weeks. Um, obviously, the, the, the Serie A deal with ESPN Plus was, and ESPN was just announced a week ago. But uh, the speculation had been going for a week to 10 days before that. So let's say the last 14 to 17 days, there has been a lot of talk about the possibility that La Liga could be overtaken in the U.S. market by Serie A. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that, but there's been a lot of conversation about that. So what I think we see here is a concerted, strong response from La Liga, uh, understanding that uh, the combination of uh, the might of the Premier League on one end, which they're fighting a global battle against, as I just mentioned earlier, what's happening here in India, where, where I am right now, um, and then the battle in uh, in the United States, uh, going up against the ESPN networks now showing Serie A, they needed a concerted uh, response, and this is a big one. So uh, I think what we are going to see is La Liga get very aggressive about media rights. Um, a, a partner, Bean's done great things. They've done, they've done such fantastic wraparound coverage, bumper coverage uh, of La Liga. But I will say, based on that article, there is zero chance that Bean is still in existence in 2020 that they, they they keep these rights zero chance yeah I, I think they're going to go big and they're going to go uh hard in, in multi-facets you might see some la liga on facebook as they're trying here in india facebook netflix amazon prime uh you might see la liga partner with espn or partner with fox or partner with turner um and uh, try and get Real Madrid and Barcelona aggressively because they are they are clubs that can break into the mainstream of American sports and American sporting consciousness, maybe even better than any English club other than Manchester United, uh, pushing them into the mainstream. So uh, one of the interpretations from this is that BN is done with, with La Liga. They went so yeah. much to, to grow the product, but I, I think time's up for them. And, and if, if uh, BN Sports is done with La Liga or La Liga is done with BN Sports once the deal ends, that is really the end of BN Sports because you look at BN Sports yeah. and all the programming they have available, you, mean, you take La Liga away and that's the same thing as taking the Premier League away from Fox Soccer Channel uh, way back when, well, like almost like a decade and we ago. we saw they last for three months. Yeah, and, and, and they, were, they were done. That was it. So, yeah, so, so, was so to me, this deal between La Liga and relevant sports, it's three shots to the bow. 
So the first shot is to be in sports saying, hey, thanks very much. We, we've enjoyed the run that you've, we've had. But we're looking at much bigger picture now. Now we're looking at... We're looking at Univision, we're looking at ESPN, we're looking at Facebook, we're looking at Amazon, you name it. La Liga is one of the top leagues in the world. The second shot to the bow is to Major League Soccer. This is a huge, huge step into MLS's turf. So you've got uh, La Liga saying, okay, we're going to have a game in the United States. Uh, Relevant Sports says, yeah, it's like wink, wink. Uh, You can probably guess where it's going to be played at. Uh, Relevant Sports is owned by Stephen Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins, who owns the the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. So it's probably a 99% chance that this game will be played in Miami and will probably be Real Madrid. So you've got Real Madrid coming into the U.S. market, playing a game in Miami, competing against David Beckham's team, MLS team that's supposed to launch in 2020. And and that is a huge shot to the bow to, to Major League Soccer. Not only is this this one league, but there's a chance that other leagues might continue and say, hey, well, if La Liga's doing this, the Premier League says, why can't we do this too? Let, let's do a deal and let's get a, one uh, league game a year uh, in the US, which we know that they've tried in the past to do. Maybe the time is right uh, in the next few years. Or maybe it's the Bundesliga. Or maybe it's Serie A. Or maybe you go down the list. I mean, they're going to look at this. I mean, at the end of the day, we all love watching soccer. We all love watching our different leagues. But they're in, they're in a fight. They're in a war. La Liga against the Premier League is, is the big heavyweight battle globally to see who gets the most number of fans. The third shot to the bow is to Soccer United Marketing. So Soccer United Marketing is, um, is, is part of Major League Soccer, is, is uh, owned by Major League Soccer, and is involved in media rights, involved in partnerships. So if you're La Liga in the past, maybe say say five or ten years ago, and La Liga was maybe at that point interested in, in kind of developing in the, in the United States, maybe having some academies, maybe talking about media rights, maybe talking about how we can work closely together with the U.S. market, that person would be some, would be Soccer United Marketing, and, and those two would come together, have a discussion. Now, all of a sudden, you've got relevant sports uh, hosting all these International Champions Cup tournaments. But now they're getting into the media rights business. Now they're saying, hey, let's partner with La Liga on a, I'm sure, a very lucrative uh, deal. And let's go ahead and get into Sums Turf in terms of sponsorships, in terms of media rights, hosting games, uh, t- I mean, all of that. So this is massive news. And uh, the big question, Kartik, to me, though, is all of this could get undone because the USSF has to sanction this game in order for it to happen. And there's a possibility that USSF may look at this and go, hey, you mean this is not in the best interest of Major League Soccer. Um, this is not in the best interest of soccer in the United States. This is you mean, happening on our own turf. Yes, we would like the money for, for this uh, as part of the uh, sanctioning, sanctioning of this game. But there's a possibility that USSF said, could say thanks, but no thanks. Um. Yeah, just getting my head around you saying that. That's pretty, uh, I would be pretty, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, ballsy in the U.S. Soccer Federation if they did that. But we know the U.S. Soccer Federation's only agenda is economics, right? Uh, I mean, they're, they're not interested 
they, they've proven this over the course of the last year and beyond the last year, but especially the last year, as things have gotten undone on the, on the sporting side. Um, they, they're not concerned about anything but economics, and part of that economics is protecting soccer United marketing and protecting Major League Soccer, right, and, and, and making it difficult for uh, sec, uh, second divisions like the NASL to, 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 to compete and, and to uh, survive, uh, making it very difficult for um, decisions to be made that don't benefit Major League Soccer uh, or Soccer United Marketing directly, giving no-bid contracts to Soccer United Marketing, uh, not issuing RFPs, not being transparent about where the money goes from uh, Soccer, Soccer United Marketing's deal. This is something I'm still trying to uncover uh, as, as trying to do some investigative reporting and getting nowhere because there's there's nothing transparent that they do. Um, Spain voted, or, or Spain intended to vote for Morocco for the 2026 bid. The U.S., of course, won and will host the 2026 World Cup. Um, the Spanish president, FA president, didn't actually cast a vote because he had to go sack Lopetegui uh, after he had accepted the Real Madrid job. So, uh, But their intention was to vote against the United States and vote for Morocco. I don't know if that comes into play here because uh, the U.S. is hosting a World Cup. If they start some sort of war with the Spanish FA and with La which is one of the most powerful brands. It just blows away the United States Soccer Federation or Major League Soccer. They started war with La Liga. I don't know. It may not end well for the USSF. So my guess, and you've just thrown this out here, and it is a fascinating question. Thank you for throwing it out, Chris. I think everybody needs to listen to this. My guess is that the USSF will be bought off because they're only concerned about money. So they'll take 15 or 20% of the cut. Um, to, uh, they'll force La Liga and Relevant to give them a big chunk chunk of the, the pot, and then they'll they'll uh, uh, claim, hey, we brought Real Madrid to a, play a, a, a regular La Liga league match in, in Miami and, and, and put in their annual report and pound their, their chest. That's my guess. But yeah. you could be right that protecting Major League Soccer will, because everything they've done in the past is about protecting Major League Soccer, that uh, maybe, they, maybe they cause problems here. Yeah, some people could argue that uh, MLS is USSF and USSF is Major League Soccer. And in many ways, I, I, I tend to agree with that in terms of how closely knit together they are in terms of what you I mean. MLS is really driving USSF. And this is, in, in Major League Soccer's uh, estimation, this is a, a worst-case scenario. Having a Real Madrid playing a league game in Miami in a market that you're getting ready to move into to have your own team as well as the threat of other games being played throughout the, the United States. And I believe that MLS will do everything possible to stop this from happening. So whether it's influencing USSF, whether it's having an emergency meetings to discuss this and, and figure out, okay, how can we stop this from happening? Because how can we take control of the situation? Because this is not going to be in our best interest. Because if we say yeah, if USSF says yes to this, then all of these other leagues from around the world are going to start doing the same thing too. And then all of a sudden you have... Uh, the value of MLS going down and down in people's estimation because part of it in terms of uh, just the money in the pocket, being able to, can they afford to go to Major League Soccer and and buy a season ticket or will they use that money and and spend several hundred dollars to go watch Real Madrid against uh, Barcelona or or Real Sociedad or Sevilla or or whoever it may be in in a a meaningful game, in a high-quality game, in a, a sold-out atmosphere at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. It's, this is a huge <laughs> question, Kartik. And, and, and really, I mean, depending on what the outcome of this, 
this could really change the soccer landscape in the United States for the next 10 years in terms of yeah, opening things up? Yeah, let's talk for a minute about this from the South Florida perspective, because my, my assumption, and I saw Steve Goff tweeted also, your assumption is that this, this match, the first one at least, will be in Miami. Um, I, want, I have put myself on record. I don't like these matches. I don't like this idea because I think it's taking a home game away from somebody's, uh, somebody in Spain with a passionate fan base, local community club. It's taking a match potentially against Real Madrid or Barcelona away from those home fans. That's that's my opposition to it now. But from the U.S. perspective, I see you know, if I just put those ones on, I can see it very differently, uh, particularly South Florida. So there is only so much disposable income among um, soccer fans in South, Southern Florida. And if you talk about two ICC games a year, you talk about uh, a La Liga regular season game, a real La Liga game involving Barcelona or Real Madrid, um, a match that uh, uh, between a uh, Colombia, friendly between a Colombia or, or, or Brazil and some opposition or Peru, you know, some, some, somebody with a big supporter space here. You're talking about one or two of those matches. So you're up to about five matches where you're buying more premium priced tickets. Uh, for uh, people with limited disposable income. And then you're asking those same people to buy season tickets for a major league soccer team. I think most of those people are going to opt for the packages uh, or the, the, the tickets, the all the car tickets for events um, that relevant sports are putting on at Joe Robbie Stadium and uh, maybe buy tickets to one or two or three uh, MLS games, uh, buy a mini pack or something. Uh, I, I've seen this. There are three pots of fans, Chris, in South Florida. There are the, the small number of American professional soccer fans. Uh, my work with the old Miami FC, uh, my support of the old Miami Fusion and, and Fort Lauderdale Strikers, my work with uh, the old Miami FC, the new Fort Lauderdale Strikers, and now the new Miami FC has demonstrated, to, and Boca Raton FC, let me throw them in there, has demonstrated to me that that pot is very small. Um, yep. you, have to, you have to draw from the other two pots, which is European football fans, uh, which is what relevance going after, and then fans of, of Boca Juniors, uh, River Plate, and uh, Independiente clubs in South America. Yeah. Um, plus, plus, and my fear is that they're not going to get those two and three uh, because of this. Yeah, plus you can also look at other cities around the, around the country too, other, other major cities, and um, the teams might change, but the situation is the same where all of a sudden – yeah, it's it's the same dilemma, really. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with this one, Kartik. It's uh, it's going to be mind blowing to watch this one. And, and again, too, the big headli- headlines of the day are going to be La Liga uh, getting ready to play one ge- one game a season in the U.S. But the real story, I believe, is um, is this that this is relevant sports making an attack on Soccer United marketing, and this could have big ramifications in the U.S. Now, Kartik, let's move on to um, speaking of being sports a minute ago. Let's talk about being sports and the latest news on them yeah they're back on verizon fios we've been following this last few weeks just in time for the new season of la liga which kicks off uh, on friday meanwhile being sports is still blacked out on comcast xfinity and there appears to be no resolution anytime soon speaking of comcast the tv provider kicked more dirt into the eyes of being sports this week when they were interviewed in a story in sports business daily about the comcast being dispute the source said quote but it's hard to see how BN will be able to convince Comcast to give it carriage again. A Comcast source told me that the dispute had less to do with money as BN was asking for a small affiliate fee increase. Rather, Comcast was concerned that BN would not be able to guarantee that would keep those programming deals in place 
through the length of its affiliate deal, unquote. And just remember what we talked about regarding La Liga, Chris. Um, bad news. Bad news for being. Yeah. And, and bad news for fans, quite frankly, with La Liga starting. Because, you know, we can talk about the future. We can talk about um, this deal with, with, with Relevant. But for this season, you're, a lot of people are, are going to miss La Liga because of this. Yeah, and, and that quote is uh, from a source, from a Comcast source. So it's probably somebody yeah. w- within Comcast that doesn't want to go on the record to be named uh, speaking to Sports Business Daily. But to me, that's that's a punch uh, below the belt because that's really dirty. I mean, to me, that's saying, yeah. if you read between the lines, that's saying that they don't believe that being sports is still going to be in business um, by the time that these, these, these deals are complete which undermines everything about being sports. Now, maybe being sports has financial issues. Maybe being sports is considering whether to exit the U.S. marketplace. On the other hand, maybe they're financially very stable with the backing from uh, Qatar. And maybe they're planning you mean, on bidding really heavily and, and, and very aggressively for the, the renewal of the La Liga rights. Because if they really wanted to, they have the money. But it's a lot of it depends on on, on the situation. So to, for Comcast to say that, that's very underhanded, and and it really hurts being sports because now there's questions about okay, the the actual health of being sports, and this is going to hurt everything from TV advertisers thinking okay, well maybe I shouldn't advertise with being sports because Comcast is saying that they're in trouble. Um, this is this is a really a low blow, and and, and um, whether it's true or not, we're not sure. But it's it's I, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But it does point to the issue with, with Comcast and being sports. And I, I don't see this being resolved any, anytime soon, especially if Comcast is saying stuff like this uh, in the media. I think it's very dirty. I think it's very underhanded. It's going to now fuel public speculation now privately within the industry. There has been speculation about this issue. Uh, I will also say it's very dirty also given the history of what we've seen in the soccer rights business in the United States when Satanta went out of business in the final year of their deals with the Premier League and Liga A. What we saw happen there, Chris, is a channel popped up in its place but from Fox, which still operates today, Fox Soccer Plus, on the same cable systems doing a deal with Satanta to sublicense those rights. Some of those other rights were sublicensed to ESPN. Um, there was no interruption. I want to stress this uh, for those that were not soccer fans eight years ago or nine years ago when this happened. There was no interruption in a, in the channel op, in, in a channel operating in that space and in the coverage of the rights that that channel had. Now, maybe it's different now, but Comcast knows that history also. Uh, that I just cited. So I, I think this is really underhanded and dirty because I don't think it reflects a reality, even if BN were to go under. Yeah, to, to be a fly on uh, uh, on the wall of uh, the calls and discussions that BN Sports is having with with La Liga right now would be very interesting to hear what BN Sports is saying to La Liga about. Um, you mean how soon the deal will be reached with Comcast and what they're doing, and meanwhile La Liga probably been very concerned about whether or not i mean comcast is what in over i think 110 million homes in the united states i mean it's a it, it is the number one cable provider and la liga thinking okay uh, being sports this needs to happen we need to figure out a way to to resolve this because this is a major issue if one of the biggest leagues in the world is not carried on the biggest cable uh, provider in the united states this is massive so then does i mean is there a plan b is there something in the contract that says that based on the distribution of La Liga, 
You mean if it's uh, if it's some clause in there that says that if you get removed from major uh, distributors, TV providers, is there an out clause to say, okay, now we can go ahead and actually move that to some other channel? I, I don't know because I haven't seen the legal documents and I, I'm not an expert in, in the legal side of things. But those, I, I would imagine, are the discussions or thoughts that are happening. And it's, it's, it's a mayday. It's an emergency, emergency situation. And Comcast saying these things in the press undermines being sports and puts them in a lot of danger. This is really, really serious news. So if you are a Comcast subscriber... Definitely think about it. Definitely think about leaving Comcast and going someplace else if, if you watch La Liga, because otherwise you might be stuck with uh, no La Liga on Comcast for weeks, months, uh, or even longer. Chris, I'm going to go a step further. I, if you're a Comcast subscriber and you're a soccer fan, complain to them about them undermining publicly a channel that's predominantly a channel that broadcasts the sport. Uh, because maybe, again, I'm getting parochial and territorial and protective of our soccer community because we are small in the United States and, and we, we demand a certain degree of acceptance and respect. And uh, to me, it was very disrespectful. I don't think they would have done this to a channel that pre- predominantly carries American football or carries basketball or whatever. That, that's my view. Maybe again, I'm being too defensive. One more thing. That's how I, one you know. more thing on this. And this is a theme in this podcast, Kartik, about the kind of the, the major battle between La Liga and the Premier League globally. We've talked about India and the United States, but, for a second, uh, consider who Comcast owns. Comcast owns NBC Sports Network and NBC Universal, who are mm. the rights holder to the Premier League in the United States. So in some ways, you could argue that Comcast, this is in their best interest to go ahead and you mean, get rid of uh, being sports in any way possible and to undermine La Liga because that actually helps their product, NBC, and it helps, or helps this, the network and helps their product that they have the rights to the Premier League. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that's, that's what they're thinking or that's what's happening, but indirectly, that is what's, what's going on in this landscape. It's, 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 it's crazy times. All right, Kartik, two more pieces of news before we move on to TV ratings. First up is that uh, just a quick piece of news. And, and speaking of people cutting the cord and getting rid of Comcast, DirecTV Now, Sling TV, PlayStation View, and Fubo and others have seen a 58% increase in number of subscribers yeah. this year. Um, and that just goes to show, I mean, whether it's people getting upset with their local cable provider or wanting to cut the cord and save money or, I mean, there's a whole host of reasons to to move to streaming. Uh, we're seeing a 58% increase in the, the number of subscribers uh, so far this year. And, and we're, we're just over halfway through the year. Yeah, and I have to speak uh, uh, personally about this, that uh, I've seen AT&T, who I've been a long time uh, a long time with phones and, uh, and TV, a subscriber to, uh, really kind of push DirecTV now, uh, aggressively saying, hey, if you are thinking about cutting the cord, stay with us. So they're actually acknowledging, even in their communication with people who are uh, who are subscribed with them, that you might be thinking of cutting the cord. Uh, so if you do cut the cord and you get rid of AT&T services, uh, it's just stick with us for DirecTV now. Now we, we can do this uh, cord-cutting thing too. So I, I think it's remarkable. They a, a mainline cable provider or satellite provider has acknowledged this trend and is getting aggressive about it with their own uh, customers. All right. And then one last piece of news, Kartik. Yeah, last but not least... Uh, Good news for subscribers to Bleacher Report Live. They've listed, listened to the complaints about spoilers being shown on their app. Currently, the app displays the final score for any games you want to watch on demand. But, but 
Bleacher Live, Bleacher Report Live support, BR Live uh, support has responded with the good news. Quote, we appreciate the feedback and are happy to inform you that a fix for the spoiler issue is being worked on and will be implemented as soon as possible, uh, which is what so many of you guys have complained about to to us both on Twitter and uh, writing indirectly for this podcast. So that's going to be fixed. All right, let's move on to TV streaming, uh, TV ratings news. We'll go through this pretty quickly, but uh, Arsenal's opening match against Manchester City averaged um, 723,000 viewers Sunday on NBCSN to rank as the most watched opening weekend cable Premier League match on record, excluding the 2016 uh, uh, games, which was had the, the, the Olympics as the lead-in. Yeah. So anytime there's Olympics, you're going to have, you I mean, that's going to, just as with like the World Cup, if you have a World Cup game, World Cup final, and right after it you have an MLS game, that's going to skew the numbers because people leave the TV sets on. So except for the 2016 uh, opening weekend uh, when we had the Olympics, that was Arsenal-Man City, the most watched uh, opening weekend cable Premier League match on record for NBC Sports. So, so good news there. Hats off to them uh, on that one. Some of the other TV ratings that came out: uh, Wolves Everton, seven hundred ninety-four thousand viewers on NBC. Uh, we had the Manchester United Leicester game on NBC SN on the Friday, uh, three hundred seventy thousand viewers, and um, Seattle against Dallas on FS1 on Sunday night, uh, and that was one hundred thirty-nine thousand viewers. Here's a significant nugget from this. So there are no CNBC games that we can tell this season, uh, except maybe in circumstances when NBCSN is showing Formula One, et cetera. But no simultaneous CNBC games. You see the jump in the Huddersfield-Chelsea match to 550 uh, on a Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoff. That's higher than the vast majority of 10 a.m. kickoffs last year because there would still be 90 or 100,000 viewer bleed to the CNBC game. So yeah. Uh, that's something to watch the next few weeks. But I, I think even in week one, I see I see that, that trend uh, and where it's going. Yeah, it's a good point. And also, too, um, so if you're not into the Huddersfield-Chelsea game in that 10 a.m. window, then the only other alternative, if you want to watch those Premier League games, is NBC Sports Gold, which is a streaming package. Which <laughs> okay. you know, So it's, it's smart marketing by NBCSN, whether we agree with it or not. Listen to Mailbag. We've got a bunch this week. Uh, John... Average Geek on Twitter says, uh, would it be better for BN to become a over-the-top service or do they need the cable systems to survive? So so I'll answer this one, Kartik, in that um, uh, BN Sports already has a over-the-top service, which is BN Sports Connect. Although to access it, you have to be authenticated either through a TV provider uh, or I mean cable or satellite provider or a, a streaming provider su- such as Fubo, such as um, DirecTV, um, and not Comcast, of course, because Comcast doesn't want you to watch uh, BN Sports uh, channels through the BN Sports Connect. However, that service is a piece of crap. I mean, it's, it's, it's built on Silverlight which is an outdated uh, Microsoft technology that most people have issues with running. Uh, they've had this for several years, and it's a total dis- disaster, such to the point that if you want to watch BN Sports Connect, the best way to do it is through Fubo. And Fubo has it connected, integrated all those channels directly into their streaming platform, which is a lot more reliable. So um, so should they become a over-the-top provider? Um, I don't think so, based on their poor product that they have now. Uh, even if they had a better product, though, um, I think they really need the cable systems to survive because 
if you go just to a direct over-the-top service and not on television, that devalues your brand, that devalues um, that channel in the marketplace. If you're an advertiser, um, you mean you, you look at being sports and go, oh, okay, it's just a, it's just a uh, almost like eleven sports. It's just only on streaming, and and that's all it is. So, um, and also the, the revenue. I mean, we don't know what the revenue numbers are, but I'm sure from the advertising point of view, from sales uh, on television, uh, as well as subscriber rates, what they get from the different subscribers. Um, nationwide through through Comcast, well, previously Comcast, Verizon FiOS and DirecTV now, they're, they're getting um, millions that way. So I, I don't think that's the way for them to go, unfortunately. Uh, Paul says, uh, hey, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I've become a huge soccer fan over the last couple of years, and I try to read and listen to all of the content I can. As an American, I'd love to open a beer and watch some highlights and analysis of the weekend's games. Do you happen to know if there are any soccer talk shows on TV accessible to Americans outside of ESPN? I really like the NBC Sports commentary and analysis, but I almost hate the ESPN commentary as much as Fox. So, Kartik, I'll answer this one on one of those things, and that is, I mean, ESPN FC, even though it doesn't, doesn't like the commentators, ESPN FC, I think, is fantastic. And the amount of highlights that they show are incredible. You can get to see probably most of any, anything that major that's happening within soccer, you'll see on ESPN FC. But if you don't like ESPN, the other the other recommendation is The Extra, which is on uh, Being Sports nightly. Yeah. And and people might think, I mean, I, I've heard this from Being Sports before. Being Sports thinks that we hate them. We I don't hate Being Sports. I actually love Being Sports. The amount of soccer that they show. The talent that they have, the hard work that the the talent puts into those shows, I I, I actually admire being sports. Um, I disagree with a lot of their business decisions, but in terms of talent, in terms of highlights, in terms of analysis, that's definitely a go-to place I would check out each night is um, the extra um, on on being sports. It's got the highlights and it's got the discussion. Let me put in a plug for the locker room also if you want some intelligent discussion. Uh, about the sport that's on bn uh that's twice a week and that's very very good so that that's another another piece i mean i think bn this is part of the reason why i I get defensive about comcast even though we criticize bn here although i think we both like bn maybe they're too sensitive about our critiques at times but um it is primarily a soccer first channel so um i think if you're a soccer fan you should find a way to, to get access to bn all right, Kartik, get ready for this next one. Uh, this is from John Brubaker. He says, as a new listener who has been enjoying your insights on soccer, I wanted to provide the feedback that I find Kartik's combative attitude uh, uh, toward all things U.S. soccer off-putting and somewhat unprofessional. It seems that every episode he takes a swipe at American soccer players, the U.S. team and U.S. fans in a manner that comes off as intentionally inflammatory. Like many Americans, the U.S. soccer team has been my gateway drug into the world of soccer by way of watching the U.S. men's national team in World Cups, which has led to my going to LA Galaxy games and eventually absorbing everything soccer-related that I can get my hands on. As a soccer journalist, Kartik should be providing insight that inspires all fans of all teams to be more interested in, in the sport. And this certainly includes fans of the U.S. team in whose country he lives and works. Constructive criticism is great, and U.S. soccer and its players certainly deserve plenty of it. 
but I strongly get the sense that Kartik is more interested in venting a negative opinion that, uh, than, it, than pr- providing such constructive criticism. Uh, I hope that in the future Kartik is able to find a way to prevent his negativity from getting in the way of the insight he has to provide. So Kartik, let, let me just jump in there too. And, and someone as maybe more of a neutral, but somebody that has known you for many, many years, probably, oh gosh, over a decade, there's nobody I know that loves, or well, eats, lives, and breathes U.S. soccer or anything to do with soccer in the United States as much as you do. And I think you've seen it from all sides. So you've seen it from as a um, a PR director. You've seen it from working within a club. You've seen it as a soccer fan. You've seen it as a journalist, uh, as well as you mean a, a commentator, etc. And I can vouch for that by saying that, I mean, there's hardly anyone that loves soccer as much in the U.S. at all levels as Kartik does. But but there's a lot of issues with soccer in this country. And I think that's maybe part of the reason why um, this, this, the listeners kind of thinking that you're, you're negative against anything U.S. soccer related. Yeah. And let me let me answer. That. I appreciate actually the feedback, because if you just started tuning into me recently, you'd probably think that in the last year. Um, and I'm conscious of it because I'm I don't want to be a fifth column. I don't want to be the enemy within. I think there are plenty of enemies of U.S. soccer within who are trying to undermine people who are soccer fans. We're trying to undermine U.S. soccer to promote European leagues or European clubs or promote or just kill the sport because they have an interest in other sports. So I don't want to be one of those people. Um, it's because I love the national team so much and I've seen the decline in the quality of the players. It's because I've worked in the game and have seen the U.S. Soccer Federation go from being kind of an objective governing body that wanted to grow the sport in a organic way and, and help facilitate the growth of the sport to now being an extension of Major League Soccer's corporate interests and a a company that has become more about, or actually not a company, they're actually a nonprofit, but has become more about... Uh, money and financial interest and protecting the interest of MLS investors over growing the game uh, at an organic level, at the grassroots level, allowing local clubs, like I've seen clubs come and go, as you have in in my local area, I've worked for clubs that have gone out of business um, that have been fairly well supported because of uh, the, the political games that are played by the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, I'm, I've worked with a club right now, Miami FC, that, that won two trophies in the second division last season and had to compete in the fourth division this season because of the U.S. Soccer Federation putting its thumb on the scale and not allowing my, giving Miami FC a route to continue to play at the second division level or even as the champions of the second division moving to the, the first division. Um, we, I don't want to have a promotion and relegation discussion. Uh, and then I've also seen the decline of U.S. players, the decline of the quality of U.S. players. And my big problem with that has been that the media in this country, for the most part, that covers soccer will then uh, gloss over that, will then make false equivalencies between current U.S. players and former U.S. players when you could take the uh, the starting, uh, the first 11 from the even the 98 World Cup team that got eliminated in, in three matches in, in, uh, in France and, and uh, didn't get a point. You could even take the starting 11 from that team, and, and I think they would... <laughs> it would easily walk into the team now. So um, I think there's a lack of historical perspective. There's a lack of uh, appreciation of some of the things that have happened in the past. 
a, a narrative to try and sell a constant upward trajectory, which we're not on anymore, in my opinion. So maybe in some cases I overcompensate, but it's based on what I'm seeing and kind of my historical perspective. I want this thing to succeed. Yeah. I want this thing to change. I even would just welcome the national team getting back to the level it was uh, 10 or 15 years ago, the men's national team, that is. The women's national team is doing fine right now, although there's some questions at the youth level. Um, but we're not seeing that. I'm, I'm not seeing the kind of um, progressive change that will get us back because things are you're constantly competing with other countries and you need to you need to evolve. And, and we're not doing that. And I think we're not doing it because just to summarize here, the federation that governs the game in this country has a financial interest uh, and a political interest in protecting certain individuals and certain uh, people. And we're not going to get where we need to get until that's changed. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you want, and I want to, the best for U.S. soccer, or for soccer in the United States. And uh, the current way things are moving is not in that direction. It's it's essentially whatever's best for the investors in Major League Soccer. And I mean, forget about everyone else. I mean, in terms of, I mean, we can have a whole discussion on this uh, on another, another show. But 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 forget about NASL. Forget about uh, NPSL. Forget about everything else. Let's just focus everything on on USSF, MLS, and uh, USL and, and USL two. That seems to be the focus, while everything else is just falling apart because of USSF making that a priority in terms of uh, generating as much revenue as possible. And uh, yeah, we won't go more into that right now because that'll take a, a whole other <laughs> episode. Uh, two quick uh, items from listeners. Uh, the first one was anonymous. Uh, he or she said, uh, hello, I'm an I'm a 11-year-old American and I have been listening for four years since 2014 to the podcast. This is the first time I'm emailing, so I just wanted to know if the FA Cup final will be on the main ESPN channel since they recently got the rights on ESPN+. Plus. So we, we've already covered that. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Wow, he'd be, he or she's been listening since they were seven years old wow. to this podcast. Uh, but unfortunately, that game is not going to be on television. It's going to be on ESPN Plus only. And then Anthony Bello mentions, he says, Hi, hi guys. Uh, now that we know that ESPN has the American rights to the FA Cup, can I make a request to ESPN and BT, seeing that both Ian Dark and Steve McManaman work uh, for both of their companies, can you let the two of them do the FA Cup final for us in the States? Um, and then he says, that's all I ask. Please bring the band back together. Uh, also, do you guys think that ESPN is going to put one match per round on television? So no to that and no to Mac and Ian Dark, even though we'd love to have them uh, on on uh, the FA Cup final. But that's not going to happen. Last... Yeah, you'll probably get Stuart Robson and Martin Tyler. Exactly. <laughs> Which is OK. Nothing wrong with that. No, um, I'm fine with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. So last but not least, uh, Rochelle uh, sent in this uh, message and she said, uh, thanks for such an informative podcast. I'm looking into ESPN Plus and NBC Sports Gold. She says, don't judge, which I don't judge you <laughs> at all. Actually, I think NBC Sports Gold is a great product and it's a great value for the price. And if you love Premier League football, it's it's a great place to go. Um, and she says, so So I'm looking into ESPN Plus and NBC Sports Gold and Roku for streaming. Is there a way to record live events for watching later? Uh, thanks and keep keep up the good work. And, and the answer to your question is yes. Um, with ESPN Plus, I think everything is available on demand. So once yeah. that game's over, pretty quickly it's available for you to watch. NBC Sports Gold is not the same. It, it's um, There's lag time. Uh, sometimes the the amount of hours it takes for a game to be available on demand 
is can take several hours, and not every single game that's televised or streamed on NBC Sports Gold will be will be available on demand on NBC Sports Gold, and that's because of the Premier League. The Premier League uh, puts limits on the amount of games that can be available on demand uh, to its broadcasters. So that's something that NBC Sports is hands are tied behind their back; they can't do anything about it. So. Um, so if you do want to DVR something from the NBC Sports Gold, you can't, and you're just going to have to hope that it's available. That one game that you want to watch is, is available later on demand, and and that's the best that we can do. And unless listeners, you have any any uh, tips or tricks on, on how to make that work, so you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com/slash worldsoccertalk. And on Twitter at World Soccer Talk. Plus, of course, you can post comments on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Now, next up, we've got an exclusive interview with the uh, co-founder and CEO of Bleacher Report. And he goes into a lot of details about the vision for BR Football as well as uh, BR Live, such as uh, who powers, who is powering that uh, engine that's actually broadcasting those games, uh, streaming those games, as well as some other insights and, uh, and also some of the decisions why they went with Tim Howard, Steve Nash and Stuart Holden as their three talents for the, the UEFA Champions League and Europa League. Uh, as a, and, and in addition, their thoughts on how competitive the, the space is, uh, competing against Univision, as well as other streaming platforms on like ESPN Plus and NBC Sports Gold, etc. Okay, so we're on the line with uh, Div uh, Finocchio, who's the uh, Bleacher Report CEO and also co-founder of Bleacher Report. Dave, first question up is, um, what is uh, BR Football? And, and actually, just kind of for some context, because there's still a lot of uh, soccer fans out there that may not uh, have come across BR football, but uh, how would you sum up uh, what BR football is all about? BR football is, and Chris, thanks for having me, BR football is Bleacher Report's uh, football or, or soccer brand. Um, for those who, who aren't familiar with it, you should follow BR football on uh, on Instagram or, or Twitter or, or Facebook to get a get a feel for our voice and, and what we've been doing. Um, I opened up an office in London in the summer of 2013. Uh, so we've been we've been in the the soccer business for a lot longer than than that, um, but have had uh, had a team um, that's uh, that's holistically focused on uh, on world football in place for five years, and that that team. Um, in London is now almost 40 people, and uh, and they're supported by a much larger, almost 250-person content and programming organization uh, that is um, based in in the states. Uh, so um, excited about and for for more context, excited about that brand being the lead brand on both the the overall Turner Bleacher Report uh, TV offering that's going to start. Um, uh, whenever this airs, Wednesday for the the Super Cup, and um, and then other extensions of of that brand that we'll we'll build out. So for Bleacher Report Football, um, why why that name instead of say Turner Sports or branding it with uh, TNT for the um, the actual say the Champions League or the Europa League? Uh, well, Champions League uh, coverage mostly on television. Why, why BR Football? Why not uh, why not Turner Football or Turner Soccer? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I think internally, the the whether it's the the Turner brand or the Turner Sports brands, which are, are great brands, but um, but are more 
they're more what we'd say are, are B2B brands. They're kind of business-to-business brands versus Bleacher Report is is the consumer-facing sports brand of, of Turner Sports. Uh, we've we we have have been lucky enough to grow immensely um, over the um, you know, consistently we've we've grown for a long time now but we've we've experienced rapid rapid audience brand and and revenue growth for um, for the last five years as as we've been in partnership with with Turner and I mean if you look on any uh, any social media platform or, or our own app for that matter but our our engagement rates around our content are are literally world class there are more people um, who who follow us who then amplify our content by sharing it or by commenting on it and engaging it than um, than any other sports brand in in the United States and so it just kind of makes and and we um, our voice uh, probably skews a little bit younger um, and it's kind of a maybe like fresher, slightly more on culture, um, take on sports and sports news. And BR football is a bit of a reflection of, of that as, as well. So I don't, I don't think it will be a for, um, for longtime fans of the sport and for longtime fans of Champions League, I, I don't think the voice will be a radical departure from what they're, they're used to. But I do think our voice will at the same time um, feel – uh, feel a little bit more exciting at times, and and maybe we will create more content that people are are like excited and motivated to share with their friends um, versus just consuming by themselves and having it kind of stay there. So, so would you say that BR football has its own identity or kind of its own uh, tone, or, or uh, and is that something that can translate to television? Kind of, if if it is something that's kind of a very uh, succinct or very, very kind of um, something you, you can kind of see that there's a difference with BR football versus say other social media sites. Will that c- carry over to television? Yeah, it's, it's totally the right question to ask. Um, it does have its own distinctive voice. Um, it's, I mean, everyone listening to this should definitely go follow, uh, go follow BR football. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely targeted towards fans who are um, who are experts about the sport um, but at the same time like our goal is to present content in a really exciting way that uh, that highlights the most interesting personalities and the most interesting clubs in the sport um, in a way that's just more reflective of uh, like we we will probably create more content that the players themselves are interested in being a part of and interested in sharing than maybe previous media companies have. One of the distinctive, I think, features of Bleacher Report, and you know, we also run House of Highlights and and have uh, um, have a great just base um, to uh, to kind of market this new platform to. But one of the distinctive features is we have thousands of athletes and other celebrity influencers who are fans of us and who regularly participate in our communities. Like, like you can go in our comment streams on a regular basis and see, uh, and see literally hundreds of athletes who are commenting and sharing our content with their friends. And I think what we're excited about here is we already have um, more than 100 top uh, world football players who follow our accounts and, and who do already engage. And so that'll be a big part of our strategy, which is just tapping into um, – to their love and their passion for the sport and how, how they see their sport. Uh, and I just think we just view that as an opportunity um, and not like we don't want our coverage to feel stuffy to the players that are actually driving the culture around soccer. 
So, so in what ways uh, can you see the uh, the synergy between, say, television and BR football? So B- BR football, for which is going to be the brand name on, on uh, the Champions League, as well as BR football on you know, the web or, or social media. Will there be crossover opportunities where you mean the social media is driving content to people to the TV broadcast and, and vice versa from, from TV broadcast to social and web? And in what ways would that happen? Yeah, so that's exactly how it's going to work. We so we started working on our our programming plans and holistically um, across television, digital, and social um, a, a year ago at least. And I think what I what I hope will be perceived as innovative about our coverage approaches is, is those things will talk to each other really, really well. Um, we have designed our our television programming plans so or our studio show. Um, to uh, to be able to capture great moments that um, that will then be promoted really heavily onto social media and and perform well based on our knowledge of, of what works on social media. So, you know, if you're if you're Kate Abdo, you're you're Stuart Holden, you're um, you're, you're Tim Howard, you're, you're Steve Nash. I think it's I think it's great. You're, you know, very we have a very talented group of, of people we're starting out with here, and I think it's really helpful and comforting for them to know that they have partners behind the scenes who will, um, who will take, well, first of all, put them in a position to be really successful. But, you know, if, if there are 100,000 people watching the show on TV or whatever the numbers are in any given week, um, those numbers will be dwarfed by how many people see their best moments on digital and social media. Um, I mean, we're, we're talking about millions and millions of people who will end up consuming our coverage because of, um, of how we we run the programming plans, and then and also, I mean, there there are traditional aspects of this too, where great content is great content, and and we um, we've really dedicated ourselves to you know, for, or, or committed to just telling great stories um, about uh, about fans, about players, about clubs, and uh, and those great stories will play well on the TV side, um, but then we'll also be able to chop them up sometimes or run them in full back on, on social. And some, sometimes we'll do that, you know, the day before the match and in, in order to, uh, to drive more interest in, in whatever the, the most compelling narratives are about tomorrow's match. So I, again, like you're totally spot on that we're, we're going to use all of these assets that we have um, to drive tune in. And just like our goal is just to make fans in the United States of Champions League feel really emotionally connected and more engaged around this particular season. Like we just, we want people to be really into it. Now, BR Live is going to be the home of the UEFA Champions League, as well as I mean, many of the games on TNT and then the Europa League. Uh, all the games will be on uh, BR, uh, BR Live, except for the, well, including the final. Every, the, every, actually, every, every match will be on BR Live. Right, exa- exactly. So, so with it being the home of the UEFA Champions League uh, and Europa League, Digital, digitally, can you tell us more about the BR Live platform? Um, what's it powered by? Uh, how has this developed, and and what's the vision for BR Live? Yeah, so and just just so your your listeners um, uh, don't walk away confused, so we'll we'll essentially have a double header that will be on TNT on both uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays once we get into group stage. And then uh, for Champions League, and all of the, the those matches um, will also be on BR Live. 
but all of the other matches for Champions League and Europa League um, will be available on BR Live. So BR Live has has absolutely everything. Uh, the matches on on BR Live um, is are are kind of constructed for uh, for cord cutters um, and or people who are uh, are you know obviously based on the the time zone. Um, issues in the United States. Many, many people will be uh, will be watching the matches while they're at work, or um, or while they're at home multitasking. Or you know, it's a bit of an, an a traditional window, and so we think it lends itself really well to a streaming product uh, versus like not, just not everybody's going to be in front of a television. Uh, so um, all of the matches in BR Live are available for purchase. That's going to how it, how it's going to work. Um, but you're not locked into buying. An annual subscription, you you can. Um, you obviously get uh, it's priced really well if you buy an annual subscription. Um, you can also buy a monthly subscription. Um, but we're uh, either uniquely or I think this is kind of rare in the in the space. We're also offering the ability to buy each individual match for two ninety nine. Um, so if uh, um, if your team happens to not be featured on TNT that day, um, you can always buy the match for two ninety nine without committing to a to a larger number, um, so that's just a sense of, of how it will work. Uh, from a technology standpoint, um, Turner has a great partnership with iStream Planet, uh, who has um, uh, who has streamed many of the biggest sporting events in the world. The um, the Super Bowl and the Olympics partnered with with NBC, amongst many many others. So, you know, rest assured that you know between that and Turner is obviously run. Uh, March Madness and March Madness Live for many years. So you know we've got a great team of people working on streaming tech and and a lot of confidence in in the product. Now going to a very digital platform, um, how concerned are you, and, and what steps are you taking to ensure that uh, illegal streaming is is kind of um, well not eradicated because it's going to be difficult to eradicate it. But how much of a concern is that with so many people watching games for free through illegal streaming versus uh, going to be our live, which would be a, a paid platform? Yeah, I mean, look, I think I think it's it's one of the realities of the space that we're we're dealing with. Our goal, and to some extent, is a little bit out of out of our control. I think our goal is to build a really great user experience around Champions League and Europa League coverage that um, that builds buzz over time. Where uh, not you know not a not a hundred percent of fans, and we understand that that some fans will illegally stream the product. But our bet is that if word of mouth is is good, uh, and that that people value the overall experience that we build, that um, that our business will be just fine. And honestly, our, our overarching goal here is bigger than that. We we really believe in uh, in the future growth potential of Champions League, but also the larger sport of of football um, and the culture around it in the United States. And this is a a really really important kind of beachhead for us to build credibility with fans, um, so that they they come to value our voice and and want more of it. So that like I'd focus more on that for us. Like we're trying to earn the trust of of fans and if we can do that in the first couple of years here and they say, Hey, we want we want Bleacher Report and Turner presenting more of our matches to us and we want more shoulder content from them, then I think this will be a success for us that we'll we'll continue to build on. 
in many ways, uh, Bleacher Report and, and BR Live and BR Football, it's, it's pretty innovative because you've got a, a brand associated with, with soccer and sports, most soccer specifically here, that is there's bigger than TNT in that TNT doesn't uh, uh, broadcast soccer until now. So uh, in what ways can you see this kind of being something that's maybe uh, – really kind of very innovative or really kind of cutting edge where this is perhaps the first time we've seen this where it's been a digital brand partnering partnering of course with TNT but but uh, maybe uh, maybe maybe actually um, breaking some uh, some new ground or some some, some new paths um, so it's it is I think a very very interesting case study in in the media world and it only, and that's exactly what's happening. You have a, I, th- I think it's the first time where kind of a digital native brand is is taking the lead around programming plans for uh, for something that's traditionally thought of, you know, live sports as a as a TV product. Um, first of all, it only works if we have a tremendous relationship with Turner and so Craig Berry, who's you know many times over Emmy Award winner. Um, who's the chief content officer of, of Turner Sports, has been an incredible partner for us throughout this experience. And just the, the extent to which we're able to have super honest conversations and leverage both of our strengths in a fairly egoless environment has just been, like, it's been one of the coolest experiences I've, I've had in, in my career. Um, uh, Travis Redke, who's the executive producer on, on our side, sitting in the middle of that. It's just, it's a project where everyone involved is so passionate about making this work um even though we know that like we'll hit bumps not everything we'll do will be perfect we'll get feedback from fans we will listen we will listen to the feedback um but at the same time this is this is an opportunity to to both prove and to see if the bleach report football and by extension the bleach report voice can kind of transcend the digital social world and and work on television and we're we're really confident that it can and will, and and when it does, uh, yeah, I think it sends a signal to the entire marketplace that a lot of the ways that fans are behaving on digital and on social, and let's just caveat that or put that in, through the lens of like the way they're engaging is is behaving as they are engaging more directly with content, they're sharing content. Uh, I think that this could influence, like my hope is at least not to be too ambitious or grandiose about this, but um, but we're hoping that this influences the industry in profound ways over time and just helps to create television experiences for consumers that feel feels um, more similar to what they're, they're used to getting when they talk to their friends. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Sure. We've, uh, We'll try not to screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a couple more questions to go. Um, how conscious of a decision was it to hire people like Stuart Holden, Steve Nash, and Tim Howard? Uh, all of them are athletes. Uh, all of them are very active on on social media. Uh, was that part of the kind of the qualification process in terms of uh, pick, uh, selecting that talent? Yeah, it was absolutely, and and uh, and obviously Kate as well. Uh, who is just so incredibly talented, and who we've been um, we've been fans of, and just kind of admired in general uh, for for a long time. Yes, we we specifically first of all we specifically got to know um, great great people who are are incredibly passionate about growing um, growing Champions League and growing the culture around soccer 
in the United States. All, all four of them, in addition to what we're talking about here, um, badly want, uh, want soccer just influentially to become a bigger deal in this country. So for us, like there's a mission-oriented um, element of, of this, and we, we really wanted to work with people who genuinely give a damn. And there are lots of people um, in this space who are in media working for other companies who, who do as well, uh, but, um, but these, these four individuals that we've, we've hired, are, they're just tremendous, and, um, and they, they get the strategy. They, they feel it in their day-to-day lives, that they understand how many people are on social media channels and how, um, how powerful it, it can be to have, um, have a piece of content, even if, even if it's just 30 seconds, reach, you know, reach 5 million people on social media, even if it's only seen by 100,000 on, on television. And they understand that we're designing our strategy in a way to take advantage of that. And frankly, they also know, you know, they know how to play to the camera in ways um, to kind of create those organic moments that don't feel always like they've been overly produced on TV. Because especially younger audiences, sometimes when things feel overly produced and not organic, can roll their eyes a little bit. And we want, like, we want our coverage to feel real. And we want, we want people, like, I had dinner with Kate and Steve and Stu in, in L.A. last week as we were, we were, you know, just doing a team dinner thing to, uh, to just spend time together. And just the, like, the passion and insights that they have as a group are just so, like, I'm just sitting there with my jaw open sometimes and just being like, I cannot wait for them to have the flexibility through broadcast and social to, to share this passion with, um, with fans. And so, like, again, not everything will be perfect, but um, that was, those were some of the things that excited us about the people we've hired. And the last question is, is uh, you're going into a very competitive uh, space. So you've got everything from Univision that's going to be broadcasting all the games from the Champions League and Europa League in Spanish, as well as other broadcasters that uh, have their own rights, ESPN+. Plus. You've got DAZN entering the market in September. You've got NBC Sports Gold, etc. So a lot of streaming platforms, a lot of choices. How do you think uh, BR Football will differentiate um, from those competition? Yeah. I think we'll differentiate the way we we have in the social space where our voice our voice is different and we uh, um, we're very we have a very nice blend of of kind of creativity and and kind of orientation around data um, really listening to what um, what feedback we're we're getting from fans and so I, I think if you follow us like you'll pick up on the differentiation pretty quickly and there's there's a reason why our engagement numbers are uh, are so much higher than anyone else's right now. Um, that and that said, you know, other broadcasters do a do a tremendous job. We're we're huge fans of what NBC's done with Premier League and and others. Uh, at the same time, I think the nice thing about the the soccer landscape in the U.S. is, I I actually and they they might not agree with this, but I would say that um, there's so much room for growth in this market. I think it's almost guaranteed that this market will grow by 3x over the next 10 years, that if if others do a great job and help to convert more casual fans into kind of regular fans or, or get the person who's not interested at all to start, you know, at first knowing the personalities and maybe they just start consuming stuff on social to begin with and then eventually they start watching more matches. Um, Anyone who's helping to grow the sport, 
we're kind of all for it. So it's it's a different type of competitive environment than say like the NFL is where the market's very, very mature and you're focused on maybe taking market share from others. I don't quite view this the same way. So I, I want them all to do well and I'd, I'd like them all to, um, to help just grow the popularity of the sport. Well, Dave, Finocchio, uh, Police Report CEO, best of luck this season and uh, thank you for talking to Will Soccer Talk. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. So thank, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. Plus, if you want to, you can listen to it on Google Home. So if you have a Google Home, say, hey, blank, uh, play the World Soccer Talk podcast and up it'll come. Uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik... Now, whether they're in India, the United States, or anywhere around the world, with the La Liga season starting this weekend, Serie A season starting this weekend, as well as all the other leagues from around the world, it's going to be a crazy weekend, but, but what should they do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>